It's my great pleasure to introduce our guest speaker who continually reminds us that we are wise beyond measure and that this teaching offers tools that truly can transform us. Will you welcome with me our very own spiritual director, Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning. Yeah. All right. We're going to sing. James is going to play. Thank you, James, for being here today. I was going to say, <clears throat> Brown cut his hair differently when I looked over there the first time. But... All right. So I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to stand and sing with me, fantastic, or stay seated. But either way, let's sing a song. Let's say a prayer. In this very room. There's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very room in this very room in this very room And so I invite you to know with me in the gratitude and the appreciation of this moment, the one life, perfect life, God's life, Spirit's life. And I claim that life as my own. And I invite you in your own heart, if you are in agreement with these words, to allow these words to be your own as well. And that one life is in and through and as me like never before. As I open myself in the gratitude and appreciation and raise my vibration of aliveness on this planet and amplify my level, my level of living, of giving and receiving, of perceiving and deciding and discerning in ways like never before. So I celebrate the perennial wisdom and truth with you. I celebrate the, the shoulders of all the amazing avatars and teachers that have blessed my life and blessed your life. May that the, the spark and the, the nugget of truth that it that propels you and I forward be revealed to us in this moment and each moment hereafter. And for this I give thanks. And together we say, and so it is. Please be seated. Thank you, James. Thank you, guys. I'm just uh, so, so grateful I was watching. I came out to watch... Um, Anyway, watching Martin and, and uh, Brian sing, and I, I just flashed on um, Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel when you two were singing. The harmony was just so beautiful. So uh, we're so blessed to have these guys and, and be part of this. I was in uh, Saskatoon uh, the last couple of days with a, a whole group of people that had shown up for this oneness gathering, and it was really sweet. Uh, and it's such a beautiful drive. Laura was going to go with me, and then we decided that uh, there's quite a bit of work that we're, we're doing here, and she said, I'm going to stay back, and and get that done because it's, I'll come back to a wall of work. So the, the joy of the moment as you come back, and uh, you know, you, you, you've all had that experience. But the, the beautiful thing was I got to drive there alone 
and um, it's so beautiful. When I was driving into uh, Battleford's, the Battleford's there, it's so green. There's so many colors of green, and it was just amazing. And I thought, this is just beautiful. It's like it was painted. And the, the river's real high, and I just, it was just quite dramatic. And then as I was getting into Saskatoon, there were a couple of... It looked like dogs in the freeway as I was driving, and then the dogs kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and then it was a moose with its baby going across the road. And I just thought, wow, this is just so neat. So just amazing, uh, amazing trip, and, and a wonderful group of people. The thing that, that struck me so uh, much uh, there, and I, I did a talk yesterday, and I did a workshop yesterday, was... Um, how blessed I am to be part of this community. And, and a number, how many people from Saskatoon and other communities came up to me and said, you know, we, we'd love to drive there every Sunday to be with you guys because of what the experience is. And I thought, sometimes you forget that. Sometimes you just, you know, you just take it for granted because this is what we do when we're here. And, and then when the guys were up singing, I just thought, yeah, it really is pretty special and sweet to be in an environment that has so many uh, amazing resources. So such a, and I'm so grateful. So to come back and, and, and have gone, been able to go there and share information with people. And what I know is, I, I, when I was doing a, a workshop with him yesterday, I did a thing called a true friend, and I set it up with a, some things that <clears throat> I think I feel really called and strongly about. And one of them is wholeheartedness. I think wholeheartedness is what really reflects what we teach, and the foundations of that are, are courage, compassion, and connection. And so we did a workshop around that. But to watch people just crack open and to let things come up and bubble up um, and then to be able to have the conversation about that and make the conversation real, uh, I just, I, it's just so sweet. And you realize how the longing out in the world for what we share, this teaching, this tradition, and the ancient, the ancient wisdom that we, we have. And really what we offer is is a new perspective, a new way to look at things. Patrick Harbula was there, and Patrick's been with us, and he talked about <clears throat> his health challenges. And about two years ago, he said that he was given a diagnosis. He was certain that he, was, he had had some challenges, and he was certain in his own thinking that uh, he was completely healthy. And then he had a, a, some tests done, and, he was, and a phone call came in and said, uh, we want to let you know that you have prostate cancer. And he said he was shocked because he knew in his heart of hearts that he was healthy. And, and so he went through the shock, and then he said, I know something good will come out of this. And, and what I know when he, he said that was that, and that's part of what we teach here, is that to, get, to look beyond appearances and to look beyond conditions. Because if we get, captured, we get captured in the conditions, and it's so easy to do that, we spin in a vibration that may or may not serve us well to, to, to guide us into a new experience. And so... He explained that he went through, and he said that the prostate cancer that he was given the diagnosis for was the one where they say, it's not a question of will you get over this or not. This is the prostate cancer that you die from. And so he was given that information. And so he said it took him a year and a half, uh, but he waited. He, and they kept saying the longer you wait, the, the more uh, in, in, uh, threat to your life is. Anyway, after a year and a half, he finally had the surgery. And he stood up and he said, you know, I want to let you know I'm, I'm, I'm cancer-free with this uh, condition. <clears throat> But the infinite wisdom that guided him and to listen and to trust the inner knowing and say, you know what, right now surgery doesn't feel like the appropriate step. And I'm not saying, I'm not, this is not advice, please, but, but I think what I'm saying is for all of us we need to listen. We need to have that space to listen. And without that space, it's very easy to get captured in the conditions of life and to be driven by other people's opinions, people that love us and want the best for us. 
but we need to honor the, the sanctity of, um, of life and where we are and where we are in our journey and hold that for one another. You know, I'm looking at Julia here and I've been going over and seeing her brother Len in the hospital and she told me, now Len, I, I just feel like we, well, we should sell, share a bit of Len's story, but Len few weeks back said that he didn't want to go on anymore so he decided to stop eating and drinking and so I would go sit with Len in prayer and I know Reverend Catherine Wynn and a number of people Sheila Cox is downstairs and she's been visiting Len when she can and he's just an amazing guy and just a, a light uh, got a lot of wisdom and he's and he's he's real because he's got a really colorful vocabulary once in a while too so it just is it's that that wonderful mosaic of making it real and then Julia told me this morning that Len's attitude has changed and now he's looking forward to maybe going into a different experience of long-term care. And I just thought, you know, it's amazing. But what we can do is we can sit in love with one another. And, and you know, and because we've, we've got to decide. We've got to make the decision to make the change. And we know that. And that's part of the infinite wisdom we teach. And it's so precious. Because we honor the dignity and the sanctity of, of human life and of expression and who we are. And then when we can sit and we can see the, 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 the perfection of life in everyone and acknowledge that to start there. And as I said last week, and I shared it in Saskatoon, see, our problem is not, we have, no, we have nothing to, that needs fixing. The inherent nature of who and what we are is perfection. It's, just, it's a given. It's our birthright. What needs adjusting and perhaps you know, uh, amplification is our thinking, our level of thinking, our perception. So Patrick Carbula saying something good will come out of this and, and continuing to work with that. After he said, I was shocked and I was dismayed, here I am given a death sentence. There's Len going having his experience. It's to honor people, to know they're going to have the right and perfect experience. And it's powerful for when we hold that for one another. So <clears throat> been using Timothy Ferris's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, and it's an amazing book. Uh, and, and the thing I love about it, now we're not all going to follow this. It's not, a, it's not a blueprint for all of us. But what he does is he offers insight and in, in new ways of looking at things, new ways of being on the planet and doing our work and doing things. So the first job he had was that he, he got a job washing dishes. And he said he figured out how to do the job in one hour. It was an eight-hour shift. And he figured out how to get it all done in an hour. And he said this, he spent the next, and he's, of course, a teenager, he spent the next seven hours reading Kung Fu magazines. He said after three days, the boss fired him because he didn't have a work ethic. And I thought, he's, but he realized he probably wasn't, you know, his life's path was probably not washing dishes for eight hours, but he figured out how to do it in an hour. He talks about when he was in kindergarten, the start for him is that he'd refused to learn the alphabet. And so his teacher put him in the, the special group, you know, the group that won't learn. I was in this group with the timetables, the multiplication. I refused. I'm not learning the multiplication. There's no way. I'll never learn this. And they put me in that special group. Uh, Timothy Ferris talks about at that point in time when he refused to learn the, multiple, uh, the alphabet, his teacher at one point finally had him eat a bar of soap. So I'm sure he said something interesting, but you know that's the, but that's the, he said that was the start of his looking at the world and saying there's got to be different ways to do this. And I believe that this is part of what we stand for as a community and a and a, and a movement. So Ferris uh, talks about in the 4-Hour Workweek get, getting unrealistic with expectation. What are the wildest things that he said, you know, he talks about it's easier to raise a million dollars than it is to raise $100,000. What an interesting idea. What an interesting idea. I would never say that. I probably wouldn't even think that. That's 10 times the amount. But he talks about having unreal, unrealistic goals. He said the goals shift from ambiguous wants to defined steps. So if that's the goal, what are the steps? 
he talks about he wanted to demonstrate an Aston Martin in his life. And, he, and the sale price was $136,000 in change. But he realized it was only $2,000 a month. And so he put that into his budget because he said, I can rent one for that. He, didn't want, he, didn't, he just wanted to drive it. He didn't need to own it. He could rent it. But he's got a whole plan in, in, this, in this book about how to approach these things, the steps. The goals, number two, the goal has to be unrealistic to be effective. So it has to be really big. It has to really stretch us and make us uncomfortable. And then it focuses on activities that will fill the vacuum created when work is removed. So one of the practices that he, he talks about in here quite beautifully, and, and I wanted to, to share with you, is he calls it failing better. And what he does, he was invited to go into uh, Princeton University and teach a, and be a guest lecturer. And I want to find the, the right page for you here. He said that uh, he went in and he, he guest lectured. And what he did is he, he offered, extended a challenge to these students. And he said that um, he, he invited the students to identify somebody really well-known and get in touch with them and ask them questions. And so Ryan Merinan, he writes about this in this particular um, chapter, Fail Better. It's actually the, the, the pieces by Adam Gottsfeld. But he said what Ryan Mar- Merian did from Los Angeles was no exception. <clears throat> While the majority of undergraduates fill their time by updating their Facebook profiles or watching videos on YouTube, Merinan was discussing Soto Zen Buddhism via email with Randy Commissar, a partner at the venture capital firm Kleiner, Perkins, Caulfield, and Byers, and asking Google CEO Eric Schmidt via email when he had been the happiest in his life. Schmidt's answer was tomorrow. Prior to his email, Merinan had never contacted Commissar. He had met Schmidt, a Princeton University trustee, only briefly at an academic affair meeting of the trustees in November. A self-described naturally shy kid, Marion said he would never have dared to randomly email two of the most powerful men in Silicon Valley if it wasn't for Tim Ferriss, who offered a guest lecture in Professor Zakow's high-tech entrepreneurship class. Ferris challenged Marion and his fellow seniors to contact high-profile celebrities and CEOs and get their answers to questions they have always wanted to ask. For extra incentive, Ferris promised the student who could contact the most hard-to-reach name and ask the most intriguing questions a round-trip plane ticket anywhere in the world. Now, I've read this. I've been emailing Barack Obama for the last two weeks after I read this. (laughs) See if he'll come and guest speak one week. Why not? He might say yes. I believe that success in Ferris, uh, uh, this comes from Timothy Ferris. He said, I believe that success can be measured in the number of uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have. I felt that if I could help students overcome the fear of rejection with cold calling and cold emailing, it would serve them forever. Because it's just an idea. It's just an idea. I wish I'd had that information. I wish I'd had somebody mentoring me about this when I was doing the acting thing in Los Angeles because I'd make this commitment. I'd go to this class as the goal and I'm going to do something every day to, to move my career forward and I'm going to contact a, a producer or a director or a casting director or somebody, you know, Every day I was going to make the call or I was going to send out the, 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 the headshots. And I did a lot of it. I did a lot of the mailing. But the phone calls I never did. I love the story of Steve Gutenberg. Now, Steve Gutenberg was in the Police Academy movies. He's been in Three Men and Little Baby. And, and I love Gutenberg's story. What he did is he went to, to uh, MGM Studios and he got himself on a lot. I don't know how he did it, but he's an actor. And I guess it's part of the, you know, part of the, the gauntlet you run. And he got into the studio somehow and he got himself 
an office that was empty. He found an office there. I've, been in a, I've worked on the MGM studio as an actor and also as a carpenter over the years. And he got in there, and I don't know how I got through the guards, because the guards are pretty thorough. You really typically have to have you know, evidence that you can come in. But he got in there, and he found an empty office, and he got himself a phone line installed. And so what he would do is he'd sit there all day long, and he would call the producers on the, on the, within MGM and say, Hey, have you heard of this incredible young actor, Steve Gutenberg? You've got to see this kid. No, I haven't. Who's this? Well, this is so-and-so. And he had a whole thing like And he pitched himself while he was on, this, on the studio set. And he kept doing it and doing it. And finally, you know, pretty soon, one guy is talking to another guy about this incredible young guy, Steve Gutenberg. I keep getting calls all day long about this kid. But that's how he, he got himself in the door. I thought, what a great idea. I would have never thought of that. Talk about fearless. But if we don't ask, we don't get so that's part of failing better. And what, um, what Ferris advises is that, uh, or what Marinin said, his, his, um, his maxim came from Samuel, Samuel Beckett. He said he's my personal hero. He says, ever tried, ever failed, no matter. Try again, fail again, fail better. You won't believe what you can accomplish by attempting the impossible with the courage to repeatedly fail better. It's just life. It's just life. It's the stories we make up. I love the story that James Golden told us when he was here about Nasruddin. Nasruddin is a Sufi uh, clown and, and, and teacher that is used many times in illustration. And Nasruddin goes into a town with his assistant and his donkey, and they're p- pulling the donkey into town. And, and these kids come up, and they're just harassing him and calling him names and throwing rocks and pulling the donkey's tail. And Nasruddin's just beside himself, doesn't know how to get rid of these kids. And finally, he gets an idea, and he says, Hey, did you guys know that if you go over to such and such a street right now, they're giving away free food, and it's great stuff, and it's all the sweets and the candies and everything you like, and these kids go, Really? He said, Yeah, and all the kids take off running, and Nazwood watches them for a little bit, and as they turn the corner, he starts running after them. And so his assistant says, What's up with this? So he pulls the donkey along, and he finally catches up to Nazwood and says, Where are you going? And Nazwood says, What if it's true? What if it's true, John? You're not smiling or anything. Are you listening to me? But what if it's true? So it's really about the stories we tell and the stories we make up. When I was in Saskatoon, and I did a, a workshop with... Uh, uh, I actually, I told the story, the, the Kennedy story I told here, because I love that story, and I think it's so important to, to share those messages. And I had a guy there from Toronto that came up to me, and he said, thank you for telling that story. And if you weren't here last week, it's on the CD in the, in the office, but it's a story about what's happening in the United States primarily and what's happened over a series of years that has created the culture that's, that's operating now. And part of it is, part of one of the crucial pieces of it is how the conversation, how the media has gotten to a point where it's, it, it is geared towards uh, appealing to that reptilian part of our brain, which is titillating. So... As Kennedy said, what, what's happening is that we are the most entertained and the least informed group ever. And so it speaks volumes to the idea of keeping the important conversations alive. And the example he used was that we, we know what Britney Spears is doing and we know what Charlie Sheen is doing because it's all over uh, all of the media. But what's, what's missing is the, the story of the 500 mountains, or, uh, the, yeah, the, the 500 mountains that have disappeared in West Virginia over the last 10 years because that story doesn't get shared. And so he's an environmental activist. And I shared that story there, and I talked about why this teaching is so important, why it's precious, because it is the idea of giving birth to the new idea, the possibility, the creativity. We're not stuck. We're not stagnant in this. 
And so, and we offer a perspective. And so I did this workshop with people and it was really partnering them up eventually. I set up the wholeheartedness and why I think it's important and why, how we can listen with courage, to tell our story with courage, how we can listen with compassion and how that opens a pathway to connection. And so all these strangers, the place was packed. It was sitting room only because they kept bringing more chairs in and more chairs. But it was really a wonderful experience to watch people crack open, people, strangers, talking to strangers and the tears rolling down because it's really about listening with unconditional love. And so people, one partner would say something like, I have felt ashamed at times. And the other person would listen and take it in and just simply say yes, which is to say, yes, I hear you, and I know that's true for you, and I love you. And so it's really a, a simple, simple little practice. This one lady stuck her hand up at the end and says, I can't do this at home. And I said, but nobody's asked you to do it at home. She said, if I did this at home, it would become a weapon, one more weapon. I said, then don't do it at home. But you can have this conversation with yourself and see where that takes you. But when we offer those nuggets, those opportunities, it, it, it shifts consciousness. See, we work at the subtle level. I, I'm, this, the experience I had in Saskatoon was just so powerful for me because I went there and I read portions of a chapter. I'm working on this book. And I, and I read chapters from, the, uh, from a, a, a portion of a chapter that I actually took out of the book, but I shared it in the workshop. And I shared that. I said, well, this is coming out of some writing I did that, that was in a book, but it's not in the book anymore. And uh, afterwards, people came and said, we want to buy your book. I said, well, I don't have my book with me, but thank you. And it was so validating because I think, because I've read it a thousand times, I think, well, yeah, it's, it's okay. But, and, and, and you realize how hungry people are for the perspective, for, for the nugget or the truth that shifts perspective and, and, and launches us in a different direction. And, and that's been my experience. Every time I hear Ken, Ken, Dr. Ken Gordon speak, it's, just, it's amazing because he brings that insight and that wisdom of his experience to the conversation. That's powerful. And see, you, you carry that wisdom with you. There's pieces and nuggets and things that you've done over a lifetime that you carry and influence people. And so then you become the voice of, of encouragement, to be, be the voice of unconditional love when someone says, I screwed up. And to be able to say to our children, yes, and I still love you. I love Breen Brown's work when she says, you know, we need to let our kids know they're going to have problems, that life is difficult at times, but they are so loved and they're so deserving of love. And, and the two categories we fall into, people that just accept who they are for what they are is our birthright, and others that struggle with that. Well, how could I be okay and deserving of love? You don't know what I did. Yes, I do. I probably did it too. But that's the learning that we go through. And, it, and, it, and, and so all of it is, is here for us. All of it is pushing us forward. Krishnamurti was a tremendous influence for uh, Dr. Ernest Holmes. And he said this. He said, most of us live as mere technicians. We study mechanically and we pass exams. We get jobs. We learn the techniques to succeed in this society. But if we don't pay attention to the real stuff, what's the real stuff? The real stuff is beauty. The real stuff is love. The real stuff is peace. When I was driving into Battleford and I saw the green, I just thought, this is abundance. No one, it's, it looked painted. It was so beautiful. The green, all the rain we've been having. Green, green, green. The beauty. 
in the, in the Prosperity Plus class. And I talk about that all the time. You know, I said to Dr. Ken Gordon, because he's such a great guy. I just adore him. And he's such a good friend. And we have the most honest, real conversations. And, you know, uh, Don McGill, he says, you're only as good as your two best friends. And I think that's true. One of my best friends is sitting right here in the front row. She's... Um, and I, I think I know who my other best friend is. But you're only as good as your two best friends because like attracts like. The other thing Don Miguel Ruiz said that I think is so true is what it's true for me. We only allow others to abuse us to the degree that we abuse ourselves because that's what we're used to. As soon as it goes beyond that, it becomes unacceptable. And I, hmm, that's interesting too. I like that. I think that's true for me. So, uh, but, but the love, the beauty, the peace... And the, the highest commodity that we talk about in Prosperity Plus is peace of mind. Peace of mind is number one. And then it's th- this physical body we have and how we move on the planet, the freedom to do that. If I didn't have the physical body, I never could have tri- made the trip to Saskatoon. The physical body, the peace of mind, and then it's the relationships, the beautiful relationships. Krishnamurti continues, you can be creative only when there is abandonment, which means really when there's no sense of compulsion, no fear of not being, of not gaining, of not arriving. So what I did in, in alignment with that is when I started, set up the workshop, I said to everybody, Here's a, I, I can't remember, ever remember the name of this, but I've done it with you a few times. I said, I finally call this two for one. And so what I invited people to do, and if you'd like to do this with your eyes closed, feel free, I'll do it for a moment with you, but it's a wonderful trick for the brain. And if you close your eyes or you leave your eyes open and you, feel, and you sense your breathing, it's the easiest way to do it through the breath. And then if you want to put your hand on your, your, your heart or your chest and feel your heartbeat. So if you actively sense your breathing and feel your heartbeat. Now I sometimes I'll hold my pulse in my wrist and feel it there. It really doesn't matter. But if you do these two things focused in the moment... If you really feel the breath and the heartbeat, it creates spaciousness. It's a doorway. And it tricks the brain because the brain can't think of anything else. The brain can't think of anything else. What I love about Timothy Ferris is that he's about efficiency of effort. I'm looking over here at Lori Passmore. Lori teaches a, um, a kettlebell class that Laura and I started taking. And while I was getting acclimated to kettlebell, practices, practice, I hurt myself one time and I had to take like six weeks off to heal up. And then I went back to it because I tried to do too much and I didn't take good care of my body. And then I picked up Timothy Ferris's four-hour work week and then he has a book called The Four-Hour Body. And I'm reading Timothy Ferris's book, The 4-Hour Body. And this guy's amazing. He's pushing the envelope. He's done all the research physically. This guy's accomplishments are amazing. They're in the book. He's done a lot of wonderful things. But one of the things he said in the book, as I'm reading and doing the class with Laurie, he said the most efficient form of exercise that we have is the kettlebell. And if you don't know what the kettlebell is, go talk to Laurie. I'm not going to explain it to you. But, but practice is practice. And when you have simple practices in your life that allow us to... to to maximize our experience while we're alive. And you can do this practice anywhere you are. So what I ask people to do is, I said, as you go through this exercise and your mind starts to spin, stop. 
just stop, track your breathing, and, f- and feel your heartbeat. So someone, I'd see people just stop in the middle and they do this. Because I want to live in that transcendent moment. I want to live in the abandonment. The abandonment is just the, the pure essence of being. We may not have a whole weekend to get it, but we can do this anywhere, as long as we're not driving. I didn't do it on... You know, my drive to and from Saskatoon was a meditation. I missed, I missed not traveling with Laura, but, but I loved the solitude. What I did when I was driving there is I memorized that song, and I used it when I got there, the Jackson Brown song I gave you last week. I used it in my talk. I thought, this is great because it kept my mind focused on something because Holmes talked about keeping our conversation in heaven, which is a reflection of consciousness because we activate this infinite, this infinite principle with words. And so when we bring a deeper and, and wiser perspective to what's happening in our lives, and once we understand, as Patrick Harbula said, there's good in this too. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be revealed to me. So that's our opportunity. See, we don't control all of it. Holmes said, I can't grow a cucumber. I was reading Dr. Holmes this morning. He said, I can't grow a cucumber. I don't know how to grow a cucumber. But what I can do is I can plant the seed. I can do that. We talk about in this teaching, and it's, there's, there's four areas. Health, relationships, uh, prosperity, abundance, and creative expression. So I got into this class with Lori, and then we, we and, and so when I got into Prosperity Plus, I wrote down my intention for the year, and I said, I want to get to this certain weight, because I know I feel good there. I feel healthy there, but I'm not going to starve myself. I'm not going to do it in a way that's not sustainable. And so Laura and I found a section in Timothy Ferris's book called The, uh, the Slow Carb. There's, it's a huge book. It's like a phone book. And all I had read was 20 pages of it. And because when I was in Saskatoon, two of our members were there and said, well, tell us what you're doing because you keep shrinking. And it's a process of just simply doing the same simple things over and over and over again. And I thought, what an, what an amazing analogy of spiritual practice. And moving myself from practices in the way I interacted with food and used it to bury feelings and to, to numb myself out and as a, as a release, as stress relief, all the things. I'm just sharing my experience with it. And I finally got it, and I said, wow, this is sustainable. So it's a great act of love. Laura and I have our meals together. We have certain things we do, and it's just a wonderful way to, to eat and to interact with food. But it took me, you know, I'll be 58 years old in October. And it's just a wonderful thing to be able to have that and not feel like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm going to change how I'm eating one day, and I'll have to, I'm going back into it. But it's, it, but it's also reflective of, of asking for the guidance because when we set an intention, when we write it down, the information and the support will show up. And, and so it's powerful, and it keeps us moving. Dr. Holmes said this. Dr. Ernest Holmes said, Nature will not let us stay in any one place too long. She will let us stay just long enough to gather the necessary experience to the unfolding and advancement of the soul. There's, there's a wise provision, for should we stay here too long, we would become too set, too rigid, too inflexible. Nature demands the change in order that we may advance. And when the change comes, we should welcome it with a smile on the lips and a song in the heart. And now he was, he was referencing the, the passage of the human life. He was referencing mortality here. But he's also referencing this idea of the ongoing nature of life. And change, we are, we are tripwired for change in evolution. 
and the deepening. And, and the thing that I love about our teaching, the thing I'm immersed in that keeps coming into my life is that people show up with a new perspective that launches me into a different way to look at things. And it's just beautiful and powerful. I spent almost all day yesterday in conversation with Dr. Ken Gordon talking about ministry. And, and, and I'm going to tell you, no one, unless, let me use this example, unless you're a fireman, you don't know what it's like to be a fireman. Unless you're a doctor, you don't know what it's like to be a doctor. Um, his, one of his assistant ministers came about three weeks ago to talk to me because they've asked me to help with this uh, ecumenical um, uh, thing that United does, and we're trying to figure out how we'll use it, and it's, it's a way to manage uh, some things in a different way. And so I had lunch with him, and, he's, and his name is Casey, and, and he's been around forever, and he's a wonderful man. And he looked at me, we were just having lunch, he looked at me and he said, it's the worst job in the world. And I said, yeah, Casey, it is, but it's the best job in the world, too. And but, but, So to be able to have a mentor like that that gives me perspective and gives me insight and says, you know what, man, you know, keep going, keep doing what you're doing. And because it's, it, sometimes it's hard, hard things happen that are disappointing and not the way you planned. And that's just true in your lives as well. And we can throw our hands up and say, oh, it's too hard. Or we can say, this, just, this too is for me, and I demand that the gift in it be revealed. And that's some of the blessing that people have given me over the years. This, this too is for me, and I demand that this be revealed. And if we're here to express this with the abandonment that uh, Krishna Murdy talks about, it says here that Krishna Murdy says, A person who has learned how society works and has done well acquires a kind of technical confidence. And this leads to arrogance, but there's another type of confidence that comes from thinking outside the system. The, this confidence is more innocent. If we don't have it, we're going to be absorbed by the collective and lost in mediocrity. If we try at all costs to remain ourselves, we will know true creativity that is not shaped by what is socially accepted or fashionable. A technician can produce outcomes, but a creator, by the very nature of their being and their focus on what is important, improves the world around them. Improves the world around them. And that's what I love. When I was in Saskatoon and these people were just, it was, it was so wonderful to be in this group, the vibrancy and the agreement. And it was like, there was this just charged energy. And I thought, this is the best workshop I've ever done in my life. But what made it wonderful was we set it up and, and everyone that came made the workshop. They made the workshop. Now me, I just brought, I brought a container of information. I, I brought the Tupperware dish in full of something I made and, and passed it up but they made the workshop and I thought we got to do this in Edmonton more often and it, but it was it was so reinforcing for me and as I read from parts of the book it was just wonderful to get the validation because I'm in it I'm too close to it Krishnamurti continues we need to see our own mind in this way to watch it at work and understand why it has arrived at its conclusions so why do we think what we think and is this the highest way to look at it in perception or is there a new way to see it for instance, we cannot halt our greed and envy by trying to eliminate them. They will only begin to disappear when we can witness our mind as a whole. When we admit that our mind is full of greed, envy, loathing, and ambition, we create a space to be where we are not these things. And that is the beginning of a free person who can draw on the wellspring of creativity that lies outside the thinking mind. So when I invite you to hold your chest and breathing, it's the doorway to that outside the thinking mind. Because the thinking mind will take us in a direction that will always say it could be true. I'm going to run after those guys. I know I made the story up, but they could be giving food away over there. 
It could be true. It's the way our minds work. But isn't that exciting to know? Isn't it exciting to come together and share? The, the, I just think it's so beautiful. I just think it's such a powerful, wonderful, beautiful tool to have in our lives that will take us wherever, wherever we go individually and collectively and ultimately as a planet and, and a people is contingent upon that very planting of the seed. So what seed are we planting? What seed am I planting? What seed are you planting? That's the question to ask. And can I, can I get my small thinking out of the way so a bigger idea can come forward? And can I, can I live in the mosaic of both? I still, need to, I still need to drive the car. I still need to do, take the task. And we, we, we need to live in both worlds. I got, done, I got done speaking and doing the workshop in, in Saskatoon, and they had given me a bunch of little gifts, very nice stuff. I couldn't remember where I put anything. I'm walking around for like an hour and a half trying to find where I set stuff down because I just said, I'm sorry, you guys. I don't know. I'm not back quite back into that, that mind that tracks that yet because it was such a powerful experience being in that environment. I, I eventually found everything. They had given gift bags away, and I, I, I couldn't find my gift bag, so they gave me two more. So I ended up coming home with three gift bags eventually, but... But, but that's the way the mind works and to be patient and, to, and to, to listen deeply, to live deeply. So it's exciting. It's an exciting, exciting thing we do. It's precious. Not everybody does this. Not everybody's in this conversation. But as we do these things, as we have the conversation, when this guy from Toronto came up to me, he says, thanks, man, for making it real. Thanks for, he says, I've been in this movement for 15 years. I told the Kennedy story. He said, thank you. Because he said, I, I hear so much theory about thinking and levels of th- and I'm not saying my way is right because I love I need to hear all of it I drank it all in Reverend Sue Rubin was there I gotta tell you a miracle that happened so I'm sitting with Reverend Sue Rubin and I'm on this panel we're doing a review for one of the ministers and it's for an ordination and I'm with Re- Dr. Deb Gordon and Dr. Sue Rubin who'll be here next week and there's me and uh, I was the only doctor not there so anyway and and um, we're doing the interview and uh, I said, I just intuitively know, Laura and I have been in this process of, of, of we have a piece of real estate that we, we thought had sold and then it, it didn't happen. So as I'm sitting at the table, I said, I think a phone call's coming. I, think this, the, I just intuitively said, I think this, this property's got another offer on it. And Dr. Sue Rubin, without Blatton and I, just said, yep. Now, that, I knew that was an affirmative prayer. She said, yep. Didn't say another word. And so within, I don't know, Within that hour, I got the phone call. And I just thought, I, want, I went up to Sue afterwards and said, I want to thank you for your affirmative prayer. And she said, and I told her, and she goes, oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's the kind of consciousness you want to have around. You want somebody that's, rather than say, are you kidding? Forget that. She just said, yep. So someone that's in touch, has done the practices, a lifelong, you want, I want that on my team. I want to be around those people. But I just thanked her. I said, thank you. You know, to reinforce that and to encourage that have people around you that love you and support you unconditionally just because that's the, our nature to do that when we're in touch with that. So I love that. So do you have those people in your life? And are you that person? Because if you want to bring those people into your life, so what's required is the spiritual coin is you have to become that. Gandhi said it. Be, become the change you want to see in the world. You want to have more joy in your life? Be joyful. Want to have more money in your life? Give in every way possible. That endless stream of possibility. And I'm not talking just money. I'm talking service. I'm talking incredible service so that you are so wanted and desired wherever you go. I got done doing that workshop. I thought, man, oh man, this was great. They let me bring out the best of me. And then the questions afterwards were so real. And I just love that. 
Oh, this is so sweet. Thank you guys for showing up. Life is sweet. Life is good. And there's nothing wrong with any of us. It's just simply a matter of of inviting that bigger idea into our experience so we can be the change. We change the world when we do that. We change the world. So it is. Blessings.